Yeah, I mean, I think going back to the story that we hear about work, right? Um, you know, I think, you know, my parents' generation, it's this, like, you have a job and you hold on to it. And the job, you know, will pay you a pension over time, right? And so you don't want to lose it. Uh, that's definitely not the story of, of our generation. Um, so it looks like we're going to have, you know, upwards of a dozen jobs over the course of our lifetime. Yeah. And so, you know, oh. in, like, in that scenario, um, who knows, I mean, who cares and who knows if you took two or three months off in between, in between jobs, right? And I don't know if, if you got a chance to, to take any sort of time off before business school or after, um, but like no one knows or cares when your start date was uh, 10 years ago, right? <laughs> and so, um, you know, thinking about it just as taking three months off every five years or six months every 10 years, um, it's 5%. You know, it's really not that much time. You're listening to the Soul Career Podcast, the podcast that brings you stories from people who've taken a risk to discover careers that fill them with purpose and make them come alive. I'm your host, Lysandra Ricketts. Now for the episode. So today I have the pleasure of being joined by DJ Dodano, founder of The Sabbatical Project, an organization that brings together researchers, companies, and advocates working to catalyze sabbaticals and their enabling policies for people everywhere. So most of the people I've had on the podcast this year, I met through Harvard Business School and it's not intentional. Um, it's just how it went. It's These are the people that I know. So don't hold it against me. And DJ is no different. He was in my year at HBS. And my last memory of you, DJ, was actually when we were all moving out after graduation and you bought the TV from me and my roommate. And then I decided, well, I kind of want that TV back. And then you brought it back. You were such a good guy about that. <laughs> so welcome to the podcast, DJ. Yeah, great to be here. Good to see you. Great to see you. Okay, so tell me a little bit about the sabbatical project. What is it exactly? So the sabbatical project really started uh, after my sabbatical. So I took I took four months off um, from my my job as a founder of a fintech company, which I think we'll talk about in a little bit. And you know, really, I came back from that saying, of all the people that I spoke to had taken this time off, it was just the thing that trends you know changed people's lives the most out of anything. So um, what's going on behind sabbaticals? What's happening? And why is there no information about it? I feel like when you Google it, you'll get someone's blog post about how it changed their life. But you know, there's very little research. Uh, the term itself is kind of reserved for professors. And it just felt like for something so transformational, so kind of universally transformational, um, I wanted there to be a little bit more kind of you know, detail and, and information. Mm -hmm. So something from anecdote to evidence. Um, so we started this. I, I, pulled together with a professor from my alma mater, Notre Dame, who studies flourishing and thriving at work, Matt Bloom, and then eventually started working with professors at, at HBS as well um, around how can we actually provide evidence and figure out what's going on with these extended breaks from work and the resulting research and advocacy um, and you know everything you see before you uh, is just the sabbatical project. Yeah. Actually, I say this all the time that it's been my dream to be able to take three months off of work every year, like professors, to replenish myself and get my creativity back and read books and just 
come back refreshed and ready to go again. I would love to do that. And my dream is to actually go to Spain three months out of every year. I lived there when I was in undergrad for a year and I love it there. Um, and I, I just never felt like I was allowed to do it. Like I had permission to take that length of time off. Is that one of the big black barriers that you see people face? Yeah, I, I like to say that the three things that folks need are permission, inspiration, and a blueprint. So, you know, it's amazing, uh, especially among our classmates, right? So we're 10 plus years out from, from graduation and we had our- You're aging me now, DJ. You're aging me now. <laughs> high school? No. Uh, and we were set to have our 10 year anniversary last year and um, I was supposed to kind of speak and, and present the results. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's amazing how many folks who graduate from a place like Harvard don't feel like they can take a couple months or a few months off throughout the entirety of their career. So think about 40, 50 year career. Um, no one's taking that amount of time off just to do things that pile up, you know, whether it's reading or, you know, hiking the Camino or, you know, spending quality time with family or friends. Um, life just kind of goes by. And if, if folks with this much privilege, and we'll, we'll get to that, I think later, don't feel like they can take time off, then how is, how is everyone else supposed to? Exactly. Yeah. I just felt like I would be a bad person or I would disappoint my board when I reported to a board, if I tried to take up sabbatical or I was worried about money or I was worried about my team and them reporting to me, what would happen if I wasn't there? So, and then all of these, now that I'm running my own company, I'm like that it was all a fiction because I needed it. Right. And if I was at the point of burnout, I would prefer to take a sabbatical rather than quit. Most people just quit rather than ask, can I take a sabbatical? Right. Right. And, and what would the board have preferred you to do? You know, leave two years earlier or, you know, be able to take a few months off. So yeah. I think what you're pointing to, it's it's exactly what we're trying to do, which is you have a story. We all as a society, you know, have a story about what work is like and what time off is like. And um, it turns out from all the folks that I've talked to through our research interviews and then just, you know, folks like you kind of coming coming to me and hearing about it, there's just, there's a lot more stories out there about really successful business people incorporating it into their normal business career, about folks taking time off because they waited too long and dealing with burnout or, or you know, addressing health problems and folks taking it, you know, sooner because they knew someone else who did and just having a transformational experience. So it's really about, I think, telling different stories. And if it, if it appeals to folks, if it, you know, kind of plants a seed inside of you, great. Um, but yeah, it's about changing that, that narrative. Exactly. So you've been doing a lot of research on this. What are some of your findings? What are some of the trends you're seeing in the research? The interesting thing about the research, you know, so I had my own experience. I had the anecdotes from all the folks that I spoke to after coming back. And then, you know, you work with a social scientists who kind of opens you up to, to their research on identity and, you know, flourishing and thriving. And you just find kind of terminologies and, and a, a set of kind of literature around the experiences that you had. So it was nice to be able to put these things into context. You know, I might say, you know, I had a transformational experience and, and the literature says something like peak life experience. And so, you know, things that you kind of look back on your life and say, that was one of the most important things in my life. Um, this seems to stack up 
you know, with those. So having a baby, getting married, things like that. Mm. Um, and, you know, really what's happening is uh, what we kind of put forth is that it's creating this, this space, uh, this liminal space in between one thing and another where you can kind of work on your identity. So mm-hmm. you know, as you know, you know, running the Branson Center for so long, like that kind of becomes who you are, right? And stepping away from that and saying, well, wait a minute, you know, before that I was a consultant and then I was like an MBA student and then I was doing this, but you know, who am I and, and how is that changing over time? It's just hard to do when you're in the thick of it. And so this provides a safe space for you to kind of step back and say, well, actually I used to fancy myself a musician or an artist or, you know, I've always wanted to be a teacher. And regardless of those things, I'll go back to that in four months. Like, what are just the things that I want to explore for this time? Because I'm a curious individual, right? Or a passionate person or someone who loves to be in Spain, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so I think that uh, what the research shows is that it's a, it's a peak life experience, one that you can choose, right? I mean, oftentimes things sneak up on you like the the death of a loved one or, you know, traumatic experience with work or getting fired, but you can actually choose this one. Um, gives you a space to kind of work on yourself and your identity and explore. Um, and I mean, one of the other observations is that the majority of these things happen because of a negative event. Um, because we aren't proactive, we have this story around, you know, what would it look like if I took time off or I couldn't afford it or whatnot? Uh, we wait until it's too late. We wait until the burnout or um, something else kind of happens to us. Um, and when that happens, it takes you longer to heal and then start the process of kind of growth and exploration after that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I have quite a few clients that are on sabbatical right now. Um, some I had to convince that a sabbatical was okay because they came to me and it was just so clear that they were deeply exhausted. And if mm. they push themselves further to keep working, they would have a mental health crisis possibly, mm. or at least an existential crisis. What is the meaning of anything? Which is what happened to me at one point, right? What is mm. the point of any work? Because I was feeling so tired, not the brand Center, but before the brand Center. Mm. Um, so I, I had to convince them. And now that they're on it, they're more creative and they're exploring and they don't want to come off. Of sabbatical so that's another thing i'm afraid that once i take a break i will never want to go back to work right mm. and then we have some of my clients who were made redundant during the pandemic so we're a forced sabbatical but we're happy to have some time to understand who they are and so on so like you're saying anecdotally from my client pool it backs up some of what you're saying the research is saying now, in my research, you had a few really interesting statistics on your TEDx talk that really stood out to me. One is that the average career is now 50 years long, and that if you take six months off every, what, 10 years, it's just a small percentage of the lifespan. So tell me some of that. Those statistics are super jarring, so I'd love to hear it from you. Like, What are you finding there? Yeah, I mean, I think going back to the story that we hear about work, right? Um, you know, I think, you know, my parents' generation, it's this, like, you have a job and you hold on to it. And the job, you know, will pay you a pension over time, right? And so you don't want to lose it. Uh, that's definitely not the story of, of our generation. Um, 
So it looks like we're going to have, you know, upwards of a dozen jobs over the course of our lifetime. And so like in that scenario, um, who knows, I mean, who cares and who knows if you took two or three months off in between, in between jobs. Right. And I don't know if, if you got a chance to, to take any sort of time off before business school or after, um, but like no one knows or cares when your start date was, uh, 10 years ago. Right. (laughs) And so, um, you know, thinking about it just as taking three months off every five years or six months every 10 years, um, it's 5%. You know, it's really not that much time. And the density of memories during that period will kind of stay with you and, and kind of, um, you know, loom over large in your life um, because of what you can do during that time. Yeah. So I think that, you know, as the other thing that I talk about, I believe in the talk is just how you know, part of our role as employees and, and, and humans is to manage our own career. So because we're not working for the same company for 50 years where we get trained and, you know, like adapted to the new different jobs that we'll move into, like we have to take that on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, the academic research calls that the protein career. Mm-hmm. And what that basically means is like you have to kind of take the torch uh, and you have to say, I need to learn data science. I need to learn, you know, better management principles. And so you can imagine taking some of that time off to train yourself up. Um and as you said, if, if healing is part of the thing you need and rest, then that's on you. No one's looking at your maintenance records and saying, we're going to hire Lissandra, but before we do, we should give her a couple months to, to take it easy. You got to do that yourself. Yeah. All right. Okay. So that brings me to exactly how do you do it? Because a big part of the reason most people don't do this is money. And most employers right now are not open to to six months, like where are you going to go for six months and, and paying you to take six months off. So one of the findings I found on your website, I'm just going to read it straight from your website. The majority of our interviewees, these are people who've taken sabbaticals, had prestigious degrees, sufficient savings, and or the privilege of an exemplar or personality, which made the prospect of taking extended time off a real possibility. In order to realistically expect most individuals to take multi-month sabbaticals, our expectations around employers must evolve. So let me ask you this question. How's that working out for you? <laughs> Are we changing uh, employers' minds here? <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. And not to, to go back to the same thing, but it's really about the story that we hear, right? So um one of the things that I've found is that I'm just kind of digging up anecdotes from companies and individuals and seeing, you know, like Adobe's had a sabbatical policy since the beginning and you know, companies like Salesforce where like Mark Benioff's idea for Salesforce came from his sabbatical. And so they're actually like, it's actually quite prevalent. Now the question is, can people afford to do it? Is it just, yeah, you can take time off and we won't fire you or is it, great, you can keep your benefits, but we won't pay you? Or is it, hey, we'll pay you full fare and, and enjoy your time off? Um, right. That's obviously not, not the place where we are now. But you know, to remind you, you know, in the past 20 years, parental leave policies in the States went from absolutely non-existent to getting there. You know? And the fact that we have you know, both maternal and paternal leave, um, we're, we're getting there. And so I think that you know, talent follows benefits these days. And, and if folks are asking for it, it can kind of show up, especially in the, the competitive, you know, hiring environments. But, you know, really, it's 
a lot of companies who have those policies don't really want to talk about it publicly because they want to make it on like a one-off basis, a case-by-case basis. And I think it's time that we just share those stories more broadly um, because a company that has a short-term mindset is thinking, well, I got to make my numbers in the next quarter. And if this manager is not there, it's going to be tougher. But if someone's thinking from a medium-term mindset of, you know, rejuvenating your staff, making it a place that feels like someone can can work for a large portion of their career versus I can only do this for a few years before I get burnt out. Like that's kind of what it's all about. And, you know, in my, my old business, we were uh, selling kind of innovative credit scoring to banks in emerging markets. Banks never want to, they never want to be the first, but as soon as they see their competitors doing it, they're going to hop on board the train. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you might've seen in December, I think Citibank uh, released a 12 week sabbatical policy during the middle of the pandemic before, you know, like the general public had access to vaccinations. So it's clearly something that's, that's gaining momentum and happening, but you know, businesses, they don't want to be the first one to do it. And then they think that all their people are going to leave and go somewhere else. So we need to show kind of social proof. Mm-hmm. That's great. Okay. So is this your sole career, DJ? <laughs> Um, well, I'm interested to, to think of, so my, my thinking of a career, obviously based on what I said about the number of jobs is that it's kind of like a, it's a journey, right? And so I feel like if you lose sight of like what you're passionate and, and curious about during the course of that journey, you have to ask yourself, am I still on the right path? I'm kind of like wayfinding. Um, the reason I'm, I'm dedicating, you know, this portion of my life to this is I actually think it can make a huge difference in the world. I think that people who can get that perspective and, and stand back can actually return back to the workforce and to their life, more likely to care about other people and more likely to do work that's important to them and important to the world. Yeah. So, um, you know, for this kind of portion of my, of my life and my career, absolutely. I've, I chose it intentionally. I'm taking uh, you know, risks to do so. I love being known as the guy on vacation, writing a book about vacations. That's always super flattering. Um, so, you know, until we get there, it's, it's a, it's a bit of a risk, but, uh, I'm pretty happy and confident where we are right now. So I want to start working our way back through time to how you got to this point. Uh, so shortly before you launched a sabbatical project, you were on sabbatical because you burned out in your previous career. Tell us what that previous career is and why you burnt out and went on sabbatical. Yeah. Um, so when I went to, to business school, my goal was to continue doing something entrepreneurial, to do something more kind of global in scale, and to do something that made a positive difference in the world. Our first case in business school was actually on Endeavor. And I, I think the person yes. you interviewed about sabbaticals recently was from Endeavor. Yes, exactly. And- <laughs> You listen to that podcast episode? Of course. Oh, wow. Yeah. I want to connect you two because I feel like you guys should meet. Yeah, please do. Yeah. Um, And so that was the first time that I I learned of this like for-profit social enterprise. And I was like, great, you can do good and also um, do well. And so, um, you know, I just kind of made my intentions known among the section and among folks that I met. And I never applied for a single job while I was at HBS. I was just kind of like making it such that I had to had to do the thing that I said I wanted to do. And, you know, found a professor from the Kennedy School who had done research on how can you help, you know, countries develop. And their hypothesis was 
you know, access to finance enables people to, to kind of live out their, their virtues and their, you know, their life's purpose. And so how can you increase access to finance by helping banks see human potential? So uh, took that technology using psychometrics to understand uh, creditworthiness. Our, our trajectories are so parallel. How did I not see you in all my macroeconomics courses at HBS? I feel like a group of us did all the macro courses together. I didn't see you in them, but we did the same things. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I got I got to be the dumb business guy while the while the professors, uh, you know, got PhDs in economics, so it worked out worked out well. Um, specialization, but but yeah, so you know, spent the next seven years just living out my dream. So talk about soul career. Um, it was, you know, doing good in the world. I was, I lived in South Africa and Kenya and Indonesia. Our company was based in Peru. It was just, you know, traveled to 60 countries. And um, that was exactly what I felt I should be doing. And more importantly, we were, we were making a difference. So, you know, $2 billion was lent against the tool that wouldn't have been, been lent otherwise to entrepreneurs across the world. Oh. Um, and I think, so the, the confusing thing is, and I'm, I'm curious to hear what you, what you say to your clients about this is like, it felt totally natural to burn out at some job you hated, you know? Mm. Um, but to burn out doing the thing that you felt like you were supposed to do, that's what kind of created the, the existential questioning, right? Um, so I just wasn't, I wasn't as energized by what I was doing. I feel like I wasn't bringing my best self uh, to the plate. I was growing even worse facial hair than I have now. And my co-founders were like, are you okay? And, um, you know, but secondly, so that's like the burnout story. And then the other story just is I had lots of stuff I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to walk like a, a long pilgrimage. I wanted to focus on some things that, you know, when everything's urgent and busy, you don't spend time on. Um, and you just can't fit that stuff in. Like, especially as an entrepreneur, you're always six months away from total failure, six months away from, you know, success. Um, and so like, I think you can tell the burnout story and that might be the story that resonates with a lot of folks, but there's other folks that are just, they're doing fine. They're chugging along. And it's not until they pick their head up that they realize like, ah, man, like I, this is not like, I want to do some other things for a while. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, those are the funnest people to sit next to at like dinner at weddings. And they're like, no, no, but I'm fine. Like I, I, had, I don't even know what I would do with myself if I took three months off. And you're like, that's kind of a red flag. If you can't even, you know, aren't we all marching towards retirement? So you're going to have to get better at not doing at some point. Um, and so, you know, that, that was, that was like this warning of like, okay, well, we started this business. It's my business. I should be able to figure out how to take time off. And so we created a policy and I was the first one to take it. And, you know, took off, took four months. And during those four months, I thought, you know what, like, if I want to do more than one thing over the course of my life, I have to end that thing at some point. Mm. And we had a great management team in place. You know, my co-founder and I had both like spent a year or two trying to figure out how we could take time off and get separation. And so I thought, you know, if it doesn't go well, because I leave, that's not so great. But if it goes better when I leave, that's amazing. Um, I think it's time to kind of to look at the next thing. So it's not all like burnout, woe is me. I couldn't drag myself to work. I think there's a lot of, you can't do two things at the same time really well. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, there's so much I want to talk about in what you just said. Let me start with psychometrics. So I always have to find out if you've done psychometrics, I want to know. Let's start with Myers-Briggs. What's your Myers-Briggs, DJ? I saw that in the in the in the meeting notes. Um, I think the last time I took it was ENTJ, but especially given that um, like having run a psychometrics company, I think I'm bad at at taking tests like that now because it's really hard not to see what they're asking you. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that was our biggest question was people would say, "Well, how can you possibly figure out if someone's honest? Like they know they're taking." a test to get a bank loan. So they're not going to say, you know, I'm, I would steal the money. And really what we would do is we'd use metadata in order to see like, okay, we're going to give them the opportunity to cheat. We're going to give them the opportunity to go back when we tell them not to go back. And we're going to observe not what they say they do, but what they actually do. Um, so long way of saying ENTJ, I should probably take it again. You should. But uh, yeah, why would you? So interesting to me. I'm ENFP. Mm -hmm. which is the complete opposite of what you should be if you want to go to HBS, <laughs> right? Um, but I, my experience anecdotally has shown that people who are ENTJs, ENFJs, are, it, it's easier for them to exist within a corporate structure. And so it's harder to make that decision to leave and do something nomadic. Whereas mm -hmm. the P's, ENFPs, ENTPs, ESTPs, right? they're more nomadic by nature. My career has been quite nomadic and I've been very comfortable trying something different, starting in private equity, then going into accelerators, then going into now coaching and training and all sorts of things that I'm doing now um, because I'm, I'm collecting experiences in the way that I craft my life. But for more structured, people who are naturally more structured, they want to see like, a steady upward trajectory and mm -hmm. taking a sabbatical feels like falling off of a cliff, you know? Yeah. 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 I think for me, I mean, when we started the company after HBS, I was making 60 grand a year and like living in my friend's parents' house in Nairobi. And like that felt totally fine to me. Yeah. I think that the thing that doesn't feel fine is when I feel as though I'm not making a decision that's, that's aligned with who I am. Right. Mm. So, I, I didn't care at all that folks, you know, that we went to school with were going to be making a lot more money than us right after graduation. It was like, no, no, no I'm, I'm very confident about this. But when I felt like I lost my way and was confused about what I wanted to do versus what I was doing then, that, that kind of threw me off. So yeah. I guess my, my corporation is like the exploration. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't know. And then the other thing you said that was really interesting was that you ran a psychometrics company. Was that the FinTech company? Were they the same company? Mm. Oh, okay. So how That's did you use psychometrics in that company? So imagine uh, adding on to an existing bank application, you know, not just what's your address and what's your job, but, um, you know, kind of questions more about who you are. And, you know, if your shop burned down, would you invest in a new shop or go to another shop? And you know, asking people more questions about what they want to do and how they perceive themselves. So like, a, like a, this might resonate more, like it's like a venture capital interview of getting to know the whole person, wow. but at scale for small scale loans. Wow. So the way I answer those questions, I would never get a loan, but I'm actually quite credit worthy in real life. So that's, that's interesting about psychometrics for me too, is that my personality type ENFP, I should be this 
nomadic influencer, journalist, but actually I have been very dedicated in my career. So the training can compensate for what the underlying six psychometrics can say as well. well All right. Yeah. It's not to say that that entrepreneurship was the thing we were we were measuring for, right? So, uh, like traditional, I think that a few things we learned, and we can we can talk about this forever. It sounds like I know, right? <laughs> but a few things we learned uh, is that you know it's really not about risk taking as it is risk understanding and mitigating, right? So, someone says, you know, I ride a motorcycle really fast without a helmet. That's not that's not what you're looking for, right. um, and the majority of of defaults were, uh, you know, people just never intending to pay the loan back anyway. So it's fraud. And so you want to, you want to try to check, you know, root out fraud at first, and then, you know, try to figure out who has like the ability to understand and mitigate risk. Um, you know, someone like my mom, who's the most honest person you've ever met in your entire life. That's great, but that might not be the best characteristic to make money if you're working in a cash only marketplace, you know, in, in, uh, in Nairobi. Right? right. And so like, you need to understand the world around you and be able to like work within that context. Um, just as someone who's super risky or someone who is going to be totally dishonest is a fraud risk. So. Right. Okay. So I'm so tempted to go on a tangent of where you've lived in the world, this attraction to developing markets, credit worthiness in developing markets. But let me just pause right there, get back to my show script here and ask about, so I know you um, sold this fintech company that you created, which is a very exciting experience to entrepreneurs. So can you tell us a little bit about what that was like? Yeah, I mean, I can tell you that for the sale, every time it went through, which is once we had at least four times where it didn't. Right. So, um, it's a, I'd say it's a process and it feels very lucky in the times when you felt like you deserved it, didn't go well for reasons outside of your control. And so I think the interesting thing about the sale was that I decided to leave the company and step back onto the board after my sabbatical before we had kind of started negotiating the sale. Um, whereas I had managed a couple processes before that had, that had fallen apart. And so like the interesting part of my story, I think is that you have this impression that, you know, like, oh, you started this company and sold it. My I'm experience sorry. was, <laughs> my, my experience was that, uh, we started the company and then we tried to sell it. We, you know, had acquisition offers and they didn't go through for various regions. And I had to step back away from the company saying, will I be okay as a person and my ego and identity if we don't sell it yeah. um, or not? And so I stepped back saying, yeah, I'm fine with that. And then it came, you know, within the next year, which is a bonus on top. It's a cherry on top, but I had to be fine with like that thing you did for seven years. No one else externally will see it as a success except you probably. Wow. Um, and it turns out that that wasn't the case, but you know, that's a, it's a character building moment, I think for me. And, um, that's kind of the way that it really went down. That's so interesting to hear. The biggest takeaway for me is something I tell my clients all the time, which is when you stop chasing, you start attracting the thing that mm -hmm. you are chasing, which has been very true in my life. It's like an energetic thing that happens to me over and over again, where when I just let it go, step back, the thing that I was chasing just comes much more naturally and much more quickly than when I was like, ah, trying to go back, go after it. Um, 
So that's really interesting to hear. The other thing is I have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to the podcast who are hunting a sale. They think that is what is going to make them rich. They want to sell, get rich, take a break, do the next thing like you did. Um, but I love hearing that it's not the first time, the second time, the third time you got this close and it all fell apart three times before it actually working out on the fourth time. So it's not like you can spend six months and sell the business. It's like a process that you're constantly working at. It sounds like. Yeah. I mean, I think when I advise folks on, on entrepreneurship now, um, I think the things you're guaranteed are you're guaranteed how much you pay yourself, right? Like whatever you can, you can eke out, um, you're guaranteed time with your coworkers and your customers. Um, and you're guaranteed the kind of lessons that you learn. And if, if those things are enough for you, then you'll, you'll be happy for sure. If you need that like fourth kicker of, oh, and then you make 10 X of your salary because you sold something just the numbers are against you. And, and my experience, which might sound a little jaded, but it's way more luck than, than you want to base a decision on. <laughs> I think there's, there's timing there, you know, there's all sorts of stuff going on. I mean, one of the times that, that we didn't, the acquisition didn't fall through was right before our fifth year reunion. And we were going to be bought by a public company and they had some, you know, the earnings were less than they wanted and at the quarterly announcement. And just like that, all acquisitions were off for three quarters. Wow. And so you're like, you, you just can't get that invested in it. Um, so you got to make sure the things you can control, which are who do you work with? Who, who do you work for? Um, can you be satisfied on your salary? And are you excited about what you're learning? I think that's all you're guaranteed. I love that advice. And that's kind of how I'm living my day-to-day -day experience building this company too. You know, I'm just loving my clients, loving seeing this thing that was just an idea, just a concept in my head, take on a life of its own um, has been very rewarding and we'll see where it takes me from here. But I have to ask, did you 10X or did you not 10X? <laughs> you, you put it out there, DJ. You just left it there for me to ask. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I thought you were worried about soul and everything. It sounds like <laughs> bank account talk. <laughs> it helps the soul too, a little bit. <laughs> Okay, so one thing that I've always wanted to know um, that I haven't asked you yet is your background. I actually don't know your backstory. Where were you born? Where did you grow up? What was your life before HBS? Because I'm so curious to know what is in you that attracted you to Kenya and Peru and these places that you've lived. Yeah, um, we moved around a lot in the States and from all over, born in Florida, New York, Texas, Colorado, went to school in Indiana. So I kind of got I got to see all the different parts of, of the States, which is cool. But I think that, I think the reason why I wanted to work a little bit in international development was I went to this Jesuit high school and they like every January you had to do a month of service. Like they didn't have classes and you had to like go, you know, this is in Denver. So like go and work at the, the Head Start kindergarten school and paint the walls. And it was just like their whole mantra was like education and service to others. And it just implanted in my brain. And, you know, I think it's, it's difficult to just focus on the place where you're from when you know that there's so much greater need elsewhere. And like I said, that first case at HBS where I was like, oh, wait, I could, 
I could kind of scratch the entrepreneurial itch and do good for the world and explore the world, um, be a citizen of the world was, was attractive to you know, like a white guy whose, whose resume was like seven years in Indiana before business school. So, um, you know, now I can tell you like a good place to eat in Jakarta and I've got friends all over and it actually, you know, between you and me, like on the, the HPS classmate side, it gave me an awesome opportunity to get to know a lot of our classmates that I wouldn't have gotten to know yeah. otherwise. Like so internationally. Yeah. Yeah. But. Everybody that comes to Jamaica from HBS looks me up on the directory and I get to have lunch with lots of people that I didn't meet from all the years, not just from yeah. every year, you know? So it's great living outside the U.S. and being the welcoming party for anyone here from HBS. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, we did a deal in Dominican Republic and I did that, but never made it to Jamaica, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. And interestingly enough, I went to a Jesuit high school in Jamaica, Camden. Oh, nice. So is it, that's another thing that we have in common that's really <laughs> interesting. Yeah. So, okay. So now I want to get to the part where we talk about like tips that you have for our audience. And I asked my previous guest, Laura, who was on sabbatical, took a two-year sabbatical, what her three tips were for taking sabbaticals. And now you are the expert. You're becoming the recognized expert in sabbaticals in the U.S., especially when this research comes out. I'm sure that will be even more true. So what are your three tips for people thinking about taking sabbaticals? I wish I would have gotten to the end of the episode before we had to hop on or else I could have could have used some of hers. Um, I think that, I think that um, so one thing that really matters, I think, is duration. Uh, people will ask, this is a classic type A question, like, what's the shortest, I hear you, but like, what's the shortest amount of time I can take off and get these benefits? <laughs> you know, uh, our, our classmate, James Allworth, he would say like, well, what's the shortest amount of time you can visit Paris, right? Um, like, sure, you can try to cram it in, but uh, so I think that you should really try to spend at least two months, ideally three to six away if you can. Um, and that means you're away. It means you're not like doing consulting on the side. You're not like still connected to work email and checking in every once in a while. Um, and I'll, I'll talk about why that's important in the third point. But the second is, is disconnection. And I think there's two ways to think about that. One is the obvious geographic you know can you travel can you get out of your like normal routine space because that just helps us get out of that same mindset you know surround ourselves by different people different routines to really like allow ourselves to kind of you know grow and change mm -hmm. and the second way i think you can disconnect is by like entering from your brain into your body so find that thing you want to do that's like yoga or, you know, painting or scuba dive, like something where you're out of your head all the time and you're, you're just like living in kind of your, your physical body more yes. um, doing something. So important. Yeah. Uh, and the third thing I would say is just like, like let go of your plan. Um, it's okay. <laughs> if you're on, if you're on vacation, right. Like you have to have a plan because you have like seven days and you can't, if you miss your flight, you're screwed. If you're on sabbatical, like you miss the bus and that becomes part of the story. And then you end up staying at someone's house in Mumbai and like staying with a family for a week. I mean, that's where the kind of the adventure starts. And I think both for the sake of the adventure, letting go of your plan and also um, for the sake of kind of like feeling what that feels to not live your life 
in that controlled way that got you to the place you are now, right? Um, it's just that an experiment. So much anxiety just thinking about that. <laughs> right? Um, it's easier for a man to do than a woman because we have more, um, you know, threats, right? Because I, I would love to walk El Camino in, in Spain, but I have to think about where will I be safe? What places will I stop at along the way so that I can be safe, <laughs> right? It's hard for me to let go of that plan. Yeah, I mean, different different folks have to have all sorts of different journeys, right? Um, and I think that I've talked to lots of women who were like, okay, I wanted to do this, but I, I want to travel with my brother or a partner or something like that. So, you know, not everyone can have the same journey at any time, right? Some people might have to wait for five years until their company is at a certain place. Some people need to save up for 10 years. Some people need to go with partners so they can't, you know, spend a month meditating by themselves. Like there's always constraints. Um, but I think that, you know, operating within those constraints and just, just doing it, then maybe the next time it can be ideal, or maybe you find that the way you did it is, is exactly what you needed. Mm, that's beautiful. And your first, your first point about taking at least three to six months off, why is that period of time important? It's just kind of following the, the data. I mean, almost everyone that we talked to just said it took so much longer to disconnect and just be than they thought it would. Um, and again, that depends on if you were, were you burnt out? Were you in like a traumatic situation? Was there uh, a negative catalyst to your time off? There's a lot of variables, but you know, I would say whatever amount of time is the most you've ever taken. Like at the end of that time, I bet you will be like, oh man, it just feels like I'm I'm getting started, right? I mean, everyone's had that experience where just as you're about to like return back from vacation, you say, but I just, I just yeah. got to the place where, right? Yeah. Um, you realize that you're just kind of living and a month flies by and what's the big deal? Why not just take two months? But one thing I think we, we hadn't talked about as much that I want to make sure is out there is it's like this right now is very much uh, a privileged thing to be able to do both from like a financial standpoint, obviously, um, but also just from a, a personality and mental standpoint. So some people had the privilege of, you know, their parents being Australian. And so like the Australian government gives all the civil servants, you know, a year off with pay, right? Um, some people had friends who did it so that they would see like an exemplar in their life that did it and came back and turned out fine. Um, so there's just, there's a lot of privilege involved. And I think when you get to the point where a company is, giving you pay and benefits to take time off and your your boss is doing it and your coworkers are doing it it's just part of life and it's not a big it's not a big decision there's there's foundations that that fund nonprofits to take sabbaticals the Durfee Foundation in LA the McGregor Foundation Detroit like we can do this and there's there's clearly people that think it's the best thing they could possibly do for their portfolio companies um just got to tell us stories Absolutely. And I love that you made that point because I, I, when I spoke with Laura about how she was able to take two years off, she said she had to rely on her husband during that time, you know, um, to pay the bills in the family. And if you are single, if you are lower income, if you live in a country that doesn't have a social safety net, uh, you may not be able to, to, to find the time. And which is why it's so important that we kind of flip the conversation from 
from the employee trying to take time off to the employer is making it important to vote, to giving their staff time off to recover and come back fresh and ready again. Um, so thank you for that. Yeah, my just last piece on that, my, my hypothesis is that obviously employers are full of people who are employees, right? And so, you know, as many, as many managers, folks in charge of talent, HR leaders that can take time off, like that's when you see the benefit and you're like, oh, I could see my staff benefiting from this. And also just as a human being, this is an amazing thing to do. Um, and it's an amazing thing to be able in, to enable my employees to do. I think that that's how change is going to happen as well. So I'm trying to go like bottom up, take it if you can, tell people stories so they know it's available to them, top down, you know, help companies realize the, the business case behind it. And um, that's how change I think will happen. Absolutely. Completely agree with you. So DJ, how do you envision your career from here? What is the next step for you after this? It's a good question. I, I was just getting those uh, Google photo things that they send you when it's like four years ago this day. Um, I was just wrapping up my, my I took a, like a six week walking pilgrimage in Japan uh, where I walked like 900 miles. I was just wrapping it up. And, you know, I recently just bought a house. I'm living in San Francisco. Like all of these things that I had no idea I'd be doing four years prior are, are happening now. And so I think like what I wish for is that I'll be able to take time in another three to five years to step back and say, okay, this is how I spent my last batch of my career. What do I want to do next? Um, and not try to predict what I'll, where I want to be in five years. But I think what, what I'm hoping to do with the sabbatical project is uh, working on a book and, you know, really trying to help just empower people to, to go live their life and, and kind of explore their own journey. And I think through doing that, it'll, I'll be walking through a door in which other opportunities are available. So um, I'm excited, but got a lot of work to do. Absolutely. And I think you are an amazing example of someone living a soul career. Uh, every step you've taken post HBS has been very intentional for the way that you wanted to design your life around your core values of seeing the world, of giving access to finance to the underbanked, and now of encouraging people to put their mental health first by taking a break from our 50 year careers and just taking time off to just be. DJ, I'm so happy that I grabbed you and got you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Awesome, good to see you again and excited to continue the conversation. Awesome. If you love this episode, remember to hit subscribe and leave us a review. And if you're a professional, executive, or entrepreneur that's interested in taking one of our coaching programs, head on over to soulcareer.com and sign up for a free consultation. We would love to hear from you.